Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransinc.com for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. This podcast is also brought to you by AgDirect. No matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving Iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Hey, does it get dark down there in Florida, Sean? It's always bright here. Always bright? Well, you don't need a, a Firestone flashlight from Axon then. If you send that. Uh, at one in the morning, I do. <laughs> okay. During hurricane season, not a, not a bad idea to have a flashlight. During hurricane out. season, yeah. when we have power out for a whole month, Yeah. I, I need four. <laughs> well, hey, send an, send an email to marketingaxontire.com <laughs> with your details, and you'll get one for free for sure. So if you're looking for a five-stone flashlight, send an email to marketingaxontire.com, and they will send that to you. With all your details, make sure you send on the Moving Iron Podcast sent you. And they'll put that in the mail to you. So, Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800 657 4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Sean Hackett is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and he's nice enough to come on a couple times a week to talk about what's going on in the marketplace. And, you know, I think it's the first podcast, Sean, where you and I don't have anything to talk about. I don't know what we're going to do here for the next 20, 30 minutes. It's going to be a, a tough conversation. I, I think we should talk about how fast swallows fly or something, you know, it's yeah. something interesting. Maybe toss yeah. that around a little bit. Yeah. yeah. No, there's uh, there's plenty to talk about. And, you know, we're going to keep talking about wheat here for a while because, you know, they finished up the Kansas Sweet Tour last week. And from the time they got that done till the huge, huge fall off of the outside markets, the Dow and everyone else out there, S&P 500 had huge losses last week, though that you know fuel on the fire and the you know the commodity markets followed right with them um Kansas we tour came back a little bit uh, uh more um positive than than people had thought um basically the tour said you know the eastern half of the state had averaged something like 51 bushels an acre which was an all-time high and the uh, western side of the state averaged you know i can't remember what the average was for the western half of the state but it was all-time low and somewhere in the middle was about 39 bushels so that's kind of where everything came together at as yeah. you as you take a look at that sean and you see what's going on with uh spring wheat in the north where it's just so wet they can't plant anything and uh 
you saw a rebound yesterday, a little bit of wheat. Wheat was up like 22 or something like that for the day. But I guess as you took a look at all that, Sean, what's your thoughts there? Wheat's a little more complicated, obviously, because there's three different kinds yeah. um, and it grown different regions, different areas. And, and, and so I think when I'm looking at winter wheat, what's on my mind is that, yes, the crop tour was definitely a bearer surprise, at least given that the, the East was as good as they claimed. And they took the market aback at a time, as you correctly pointed out, that the sky was falling with stocks and everyone was wanting to sell. Um, we know Russia and Ukraine, for that matter, have had some fantastic finishing weather. And it does look like Russia is going to have the best crop they've ever had starting with their harvest in June. And so they're, they're, and they have record-ending stocks built up from last year's tax, uh, export taxes that built up inventories. So there is going to be enough winter wheat, Casey, uh, for the summer, if Russia wants to sell. And I think Russia does want to sell. I think they need money. And I think that that's going to be one of the ways that they do it. Um, um, so having said that, uh, you know, that, and, and that typically as harvest approaches, you, you, you get harvest pressure. So hard for me to think that winter wheat is going to catch another major bid uh, here heading into June. Uh, pretty hard for me to think that. I think we're going to be under some pressure here into the middle part of June. Now, as we get to the latter part of June into July, you tend to get your post-harvest rally. And then you start looking at what's the winter wheat crop. I mean, how is the wheat crop looking in um, Europe? Um, and on that front, I'm kind of worried about a drought that's kind of developing there that I think could escalate to a point where by late June, early July, I think there could be a lot of concern about the wheat crop in Europe. And, um, and if that occurs, you know, then that might be a time that the winter wheat market, you know, might catch um, a little more of a bid. The spring wheat situation is, uh, is completely different. You know, we had a, the worst crop in 100 years last year. We have no ending stocks. There is no substitutability for it. We are hoping to get off to a fast start in the Northern Plains. They've gotten a ton of moisture, so at least the worry over the drought being repeated is, is, you know, definitely they're going to have plenty of moisture. The problem is they're not getting it in the ground. I mean, mudding it in is not good for yields. And I can tell you a lot of the farmers in the Canadian prairies are rapidly running into, uh, you know, the, the, the end dates in terms of when they really can't ensure the crop anymore. And then they're going to quickly go out and plant a bunch of canola instead. So I really am worried that the North American acre spring wheat planted and harvested acres are going to be considerably lower than what the uh, Canadian government and the U.S. government said. And then whatever does get planted, even though there is ample moisture, a lot of it's going to get off to such a, a poor start. Uh, it's just going to, I just don't think this crop's going to deliver what it needs to deliver for that kind of crop. Uh, I also think the quality is going to be down, Casey. I mean, we're talking about this is a crop that's supposed to be dealing with 14% plus protein. I think a lot of it's going to be downgraded to more of a 12% protein market that's going to fit in with the KC wheat protein profile. So if you're look, actually looking at how much spring wheat's going to deliver on what it's supposed to deliver on, we could have a very, very tight spring wheat market. And so I think, really think we're going to see a, a bifurcation begin here between what spring wheat does and what winter wheat does. It can trade dollars premium. Spring wheat can trade dollars with an S premium to winter wheat 
if there's reason to do it. I think there's reason to do it this year, and I would be looking for that differential to grow, either from winter wheat prices falling <laughs> and spring wheat not going up, or you know, combination of the two. But I really think that the correction in spring wheat late last week was just a contagion trade, but has no basis in reality. So okay, <clears throat> all right. So let's talk about uh, crop progress. Where we're at with that, um, we had an incredibly cold. St- weekend here i mean it was in, in, the, in the extreme western corn belt we had some guys that were um you know 20 degrees overnight uh 18 degrees overnight 25 degrees overnight so we had, some, we had a hard freeze come through um on a lot of emerged um crop whether it's sugar beets or or corn and so it'd be interesting to watch that and see how that plays out. Uh, I don't know how far east that went, but in this immediate area here, it got it got real cold. And, and even during the daytime, temps haven't been that that overwhelmingly warm. We're talking, you know, fifty five to to fifty eight, fifty seven degrees, something like that. So right now, if you're looking at the crop progress report, corn is about seventy two percent planted. The five year average is seventy nine, so that rebounded nicely from from what we saw a couple weeks ago. 39% emerged, which is at 51%, which you would expect to be about two weeks behind there because of we were two weeks behind getting stuff planted. Soybeans are about where they need to be, 50% planted, 55% is the average, 21% emerged, 26 the average, so they're pretty close to where they're at. Spring wheat, we talked about that already. Winter wheat, uh, what we're talking about there, 63% of that's headed, 65% is average, 28% rated good to excellent, and 27% last week. So um, it's it's kind of hovering around the same thing cotton's right where it needs to be at a 54 percent and they're ahead the average of 51 so taking a look at that sean in in this this cold start to uh you know planting corn and those kind of things you talked about that uh at pretty at length here and you know as i look at that and i saw what happened over the weekend all i could think about was freaking sean hackett's right again Look what's going on here. So I guess as you as you look at this weather pattern that we're in right now, it's supposed to get warm here towards the end of the week of Memorial Day weekend, and then in the next week it's supposed to really really warm up, and it sounds like it's going to stay that way for for some while. Was this cold snap that I'm seeing right now was that a, was that a widespread event, or was that just kind of an isolated thing out in my neck of the woods? It was a little more isolated, Casey. You know, I mean, every, everything counts in a year that you don't have any ending stocks, but I mean, right. it was more isolated. Um, Look, the, the, the weather in the west, northwest, northern tier belt has just been very unfavorable. Weather has been too cold, weather has been too wet, it's been unfavorable. We talked about that, I think we talked about this last week. They're going to get, we're going to get to 95, 97% corn harvest here over the next week. Right. We can have, um, but that last 3%, are we going to get it planted or not on corn? And I don't, I don't think we are. I don't think we're going to get that. Let North Dakota, if you, I'm trying to remember exactly what the number was, but I think corn was only 10% planted. Or I mean, I, I don't know. It's right. just I just don't see the northern uh, plains getting the corn planted that they're supposed to get planted. And you know, I don't know. You know, I have a I have a working theory that the planting intentions report was too low on corn. I mean, I don't really think that was the actual intent. I don't think it was 89 million. I think. The intent was more like 91 million. You never know for sure because it's just an ex- it's just an estimate. But um, I don't, you know, whatever the number was supposed to be, we're not going to get it planted in the northern in the northern plains to the extent that we need to. So I always felt that that 90 that 89 million acre would go to 91. 
I now think it's going to stay at 89. Like that, that's, that actually is going to be what we get planted because, um, you know, the Northern Plains is not going to get the corn planted. And so that really makes things to the point where you now need a perfect growing season. You need big yield to keep, you know, to keep this genie in the bottle. Fortunately, I think we're going to have a pretty good year for weather. I think we'll have a, a little bit of a hot, dry weather scare late June into early July, brief. But, but overall, I do think actually we're going to have pretty good weather. But it's still because of the acres being down, it still means you know, we're not going to really get comfortable until South America can show we can finally produce a big, a big grain crop, you know, which, which they should be able to do as El Nino approaches have been talking about. El Nino is wonderful for, for big production in South America. And it's wonderful for big production in the U.S. next summer. This is the this is the transition season, and so it's it's just it we're, we're it's it's going to be okay. It's going to help prevent a worst case scenario from from unfolding, but it's still not going to provide comfortable ending stocks. I guess is where I'm point where I'm, where I'm coming to at the end. Gotcha. So okay, all right. So you talk about some. Some of I want to talk about two different things here. One is is energy right here. So this whole diesel thing they're talking about right now. They're talking about having a shortage out on the on the east coast. Uh, the west coast is is talking you know rumblings about that in the northwest. You hear some people talking about diesel shortages and what have you, and then everyone in the middle is just kind of stuck there. And you start to look at these prices as you as you move forward into um, you know spring harvest here as we start talking about um what's going on with with wheat and those kind of things how is how's the market going to react to that i mean if if you're looking at, at five dollar diesel fuel not not so much what it's costing the farmer to get it out of the field but what it's going to cost it to go from point a to point b from the elevator to the mill to the bakery to, to make your bread i mean how, how's the market going to react to all that the more expensive you make the end user price based upon transportation costs, the lower the demand is going to be for the product. It's actually bearish for the commodity price because under normal circumstances, the commodity price goes up, it increases the price. Right. Um, and, and the farmer benefits. But in this case, the price is going to be going up more from the energy price and the transportation costs going up and not from the wheat price going up, for example. And so that is not a benefit to the farmer. He still has to spend that money to get it out of the field and this diesel fuel from when he goes to harvest it. And, you know, we're expecting a very wet uh, fall harvest. So think about drying down corn, propane, natural gas prices, how expensive is it going to be to, to dry down that corn to the, to the right you know, level? To, you know, it, this just takes money away from the farmer. It takes demand away from the product. Um, I know most people, they look at energy price and say, well, that's bullish. It's actually, it increases the cost of production, which in the long run is bullish in terms of what the farmer needs to keep growing production. But in the short run, it, it disproportionately hurts end-user demand at the expense of the farmer price. So it's not a good thing in the short run. And we're worried about this demand air pocket coming from consumers pulling back here this summer into the fall. And, um, and, and, and maybe having some kind of a hiccup for a lot of, you know, the prices of a lot of, a lot of things, including, um, you know, things like uh, 
food at the grocery store. Um, we, we sent out a, our dairy report out today and we did some analysis on restaurant performance. It's been declining for the last three months into March and things have gotten worse. You know, we look at grocery store and uh, sales declining for the last three or four months. You know, everything is saying that things are, are, are slowing down and actually accelerating. And, um, you know, that's just not good for prices that are already high. And so the diesel price just adds insult to injury to that whole process. And so, I, you know, even though the prices for many ag uh, markets are not as good uh, for the farmer as they would like it to be, I still would caution that if we have knockdowns in prices heading into the late summer and the fall, you could go from having profitable prices to unprofitable prices very, very quickly. Better to make a modest profit than, than to sell a modest loss. Hmm. So just keep that in mind that at the end of the day, when somebody goes to the store, they don't really care if the dairy guy is making money or not or needs a certain price. And they're going to say, can I afford to buy this right now? at the quantities that I have been used to. And the answer is no, they're going to buy less regardless of whether you need that price or not. Yep. And that's the harsh reality of economics. Yep. So. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk about on that same, that same curve there, the cold storage report came out last week and it, it shows um, they were, there was quite a bit of stuff in cold storage still in that cold storage report. So it kind of shows you where there, as you look at, frozen beef and what that looks like and, and, and the people coming in and buying uh, beef off the shelf there. It was very bearish. So I guess talk about that a little bit and what you think is happening there. Well, remember, we ran down these cold store stocks during a pandemic like we've right. never seen before. So sure. by by default, you know, we're supposed to get them back up. We want to get them back up. And that's part of, you know, getting the getting the logistical system back into balance. OK, so so just understand we're going from like crazy low levels back to normalcy, whether it's bearish or not. It just means we're getting ourselves you know, back to a, a better balance. Having said that, you know, anything that goes to the store and starts looking at mid high cuts of beef. You know, even beef lovers like myself, you go, shoo, you know, getting a little high, you know, yeah. getting a little high. So, I mean, look, there's, there's going to, there's some issue there. Right. Um, um, and, and, and yet that's at the, yet at the same time, the future, the future number of animals that are going to be available to come to the marketplace later this year in 23 are going to be some of the smallest we've ever seen. So that's bullish. Right. So it, I think once again, it's sort of a, Timing issue, timing short term. Yeah, I think demand's going to hurt. It's going to impact the need for uh, for beef cattle at this point at a time that we're still ending the herd liquidation cycle and it keeps pressure on prices, uh, at least in the short run. But intermediate term, those prices, I would imagine, Casey, you know, the, the grocery store makes money on volume. They got to move. They want to move volume. So they'll move the price down at some point. If they start to get backed up and say, hey, we're not moving the beef, then they'll move the price down. They'll start moving the beef. So, you know, I don't think it's a permanent situation. I just think right now, you know, that we've been dealing with sort of a, a shortage due to logistics and, and, and such forth and so on that we're now starting to equilibrate. The next thing to happen is to see this, the grocery uh, store meat prices start to come down and reinvigorate that demand later on in the year. Yeah. So Okay. So on the same side of that, you look at the hog market, you've seen some pretty strong gains here, especially this week. And as you're looking at the hog market price, and you, you've talked about this, that moving into this time frame, you know, you, we'd see a, a spike up in price. So talk about that a little bit. We're killing off so many chickens right now because of this avian flu situation that the next best thing is pork. 
I mean, you don't, you don't go from chicken to beef. That's a price point that people just don't do. You go from chicken to pork or chicken to fish, depending on your cost structure. So, so, so there's a lot of demand for pork. And so when this market took a nosedive you know, over the last two or three weeks, it reinvigorated demand. And we saw a rush in you know, to, uh, to buy the cheaper pork and to, to slaughter some of these animals. Remember, we're not seeing any herd growth at all. We haven't seen any for years, for the last couple of years. We remain at five-year lows in the, in the hog herd. So it's not like there's, there's this massive amount of animals ready to come to market. Now we're adding some weights and that, you know, that helps put a little extra supply in there. But, but until we can get this uh, chicken market back on, on track and start growing the, the flock instead of reducing the flock, pork demand is going to be a buyer on every break like we just saw. And so what I would also like to um, emphasize, there's been a big, big, big change in the hog price in China, like a massive change in the last month. We've seen a huge spike in hog prices for the first time in like a year and a half. And that's the first sign that the herd liquidation cycle that they went through post their second round of African swine fever uh, infestation is abating, meaning that oversupply has now been sopped up, it's been cleared up, and now the, pork, the, the hog price is taking off again. And that will mean that there's going to be a shortage of pork developing later this year as we move into their typical holidays at the beginning of 23. And so I, you know, one of the sore eye, the eyesores for the pork market has been this collapse in the exports to China. That's going to pick up big time later this year. Um, in fact, I would argue that the, not only from this hog situation ameliorating, but in the reopening of China that we expect to see in the fall, demand for chicken, for beef, for pork, for dairy, going to have a really, really powerful spike in demand in the fall and into the fourth quarter because they're going to try to pump up all their supplies heading into their holiday season just as they unbolt everybody from their homes and lets them go out and do something. So um, uh, there's a pretty exciting period coming up in livestock in the, from the fall onward that I uh, that I think will uh, is there, and um, we, we just need to get through – a little more um, economic headwinds in the near term before we get there. But I think most of the damage to the downside in livestock is done, at least for uh, cattle and, and, and hogs. Maybe the da- I think the dairy market maybe actually has more downside for a little while. But overall, I'm pretty optimistic that from the fall onward, the livestock sector is going to have a pretty go of it, especially in 23. Right so. All right, Sean. Hey, well, good stuff as usual, Sean. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. All kinds of information on there to let your listeners know what we do and how we do it to see if we could be of some value. Right on. Make sure you check that out. Sean's got a ton of information out there on his website. Just go go check that out and see what he's got there. It's well worth your time to go do that. So, Sean, appreciate you being on the podcast, man. Thanks, Casey. I always appreciate the opportunity. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you find the latest edition of the Moving Iron Podcast at Moving Iron LLC. If you want more information about the Moving Iron Podcast, go to movingironllc.com, and you can find all the information that you can ever want or know about anything that's going on with Moving Iron Podcast. Also, the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 6th, 7th, and 8th. If you're interested in attending that, go to the uh, Moving Iron 
website up in the right hand corner click on the moving iron summit tab and uh all the information is right there but if you need more information send me an email at moving iron podcast at moving iron podcast.com and i'll make sure to get back to you check out my linkedin page uh if you if you're a linkedin fan check that out there you can see the moving iron podcast on there and i'm looking for uh all the subscribers i can get to go to the youtube channel and subscribe you want to see what sean looks like it'll blow your mind dude check it out sean will be there (laughs) You can see what Sean looks like there on the old podcast, so check that out. I, I, I really don't want to. I don't want to ruin your subscription base. But, you know. <laughs> He's a supermodel. That's why he lives in Florida, folks. <laughs> All right, so check that out, and uh, I think uh, I think that's a good place to stop. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour, Sean Hackett. Let's go do some iron, folks. Out. Axon Tire is going to have more tips, tricks, and client advice throughout the year, and in September at the Moving Iron Summit in Nashville. If you're looking to sign up for the event, please head over to movingironllc.com. We hope to see you there. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransitinc.com for all of your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving on